0: Hello and welcome to the ET Property Podcast with me, ET Editor Sam McClary. In this episode, we're taking a look at the world of life sciences and just what the growth of this once very secretive sector means for real estate. Over the course of this 45-minute listen, we'll talk about everything from whether we really know enough about the life sciences market from a property perspective, what the future holds for its growth, whether the sector will spread outside of the Golden Triangle in London, and whether it can really be a catalyst for the country's levelling up agenda, and we ponder on whether innovations in the sciences are rubbing off on the real estate world. So join me as I talk to Colleen O'Connor, Vice President of Leasing, East Coast and UK Markets at Biomand Realty, Steve Lang, a Director in Savills' research team, Anna Strongman, who's Chief Executive of Oxford University Development, and Rob West, Partner at Clearbell Capital to find out all you want to know about the life sciences sector.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the EG Property Podcast. And our first episode where we are talking about a market that has been pretty well established for a long time, but has really hit the headlines um, over the past 15 months for um, a reason I don't need to go into, um, really. But life sciences has become a a really hot topic within um, the sort of mainstream media, but it's also becoming a huge topic within our little world of of real estate. And um, I'm joined today by, by four experts to talk about about the market, about its growth, and to learn some lessons, I suppose, from from across the across the pond as well. So I'm going to uh, ask each of my experts to introduce themselves and and give give us with a little line after their introductions as to as to what the the life sciences market means to them. Steve, Stephen, I'm going to hand to you first. Please do let our listeners know who you are. Let them get used to your voice and um, tell us a little bit about. What life sciences
2: means to you yeah thanks samantha uh yeah so hello to everyone listening of course um so i'm steve lang director in the commercial research team at savills the the title looking more towards offices and life sciences um and and certainly picking up that point um what life sciences means to me is uh it's pretty exciting to me as an analyst now i've been covering the sector for 20 years um, on and off, of course. And the last two years have been pretty busy. The last 12 months has been, as you can imagine, hectic. So, in terms of what it means to me as, a, as an analyst, I'm just sort of really excited by the, the, the sector in terms of what it delivers. To the world effectively you know and how it will make and has made a massive difference uh so that's that's all like life sciences in a nutshell and why as an analyst i find it increasingly interesting not that offices aren't generally interesting as well um but life sciences is a really fascinating sector to be spending a lot more time in
3: anna over to you next uh, hi hi everyone i'm anna strongman i'm the ceo of oxford university development it's a joint venture between oxford University and legal in general, combining the land of the university with the funding and expertise of of legal in general. And one of our core tasks is to create innovation districts and life sciences, uh, and actually a a range of different forms of sciences, not just life sciences, um, like the heart of those innovation districts. And for me personally, I think, um, obviously as an asset, they're fascinating because they are quite non-standard. Um, but also, um, I remember back when I was 18 and I worked for Smithkline Beecham on a science park, a very traditional type of science park, um, and I'm fascinated in my own journey and now being in a position to think about um, the kind of environments that, that these innovation districts um, should be to really bring together different types of people and to encourage um, networks of learning and networks of innovation and how that translates to the to the physical environment. So I I think that's at the heart of what a key challenge for us and a really fascinating one. Fantastic, thanks, Anna.
1: Rob, over to you next.
4: Thanks. Uh, I'm Rob West. I'm a, a partner in Clearbell Capital. We're a UK only um, fund management business that manages various pots of capital from value add down to core. Um, Uh, We've been active recently, um, investing for our third value add fund and also for a couple of core mandates. Um, We bought a building on Oxford Science Park last year uh, for one of our core mandates. Um, uh, It followed our first purchase in Oxford Science Park in 2008. And one of the really interesting things is how that has changed as an environment over the the intervening period. Uh, in 2008 we couldn't we couldn't give it away in fact we had to give new tenants bicycles as an incentive as a tenant incentive we were, couldn't give bicycles away quick enough um at the time uh, and, and it really has I mean Oxford Science and Innovation have been a, a big catalyst to that but the whole evolution of the sector um in the last few years and I think what is really exciting obviously the 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 the, the, the high level things that Stephen mentioned and, and Anna but in what has been a pretty tough year for a lot of people over the last 15 18 months it's been one of the very few bright spots from a real estate perspective so it's been it's been really exciting and it it really has moved a significant way from a from a, a capital appetite perspective as well as the as the capital gains and research itself but the capital chasing the real estate has just gone through the roof um, as as we've seen um, So it's an exciting space it's a it's a it's a tailwind space uh, alongside logistics um and that clearly has a, has its attractions uh in, in the world today
1: excellent thank you rob and last but by no means least we're going to pop over the pond um to colleen hi
5: everyone um so i'm colleen o'connor i'm a uh, biomed realties vice president of leasing for the east coast and the uk markets uh, so we've got a portfolio uh in cambridge uk through Granta park and our uh, biomed at Baberham campus and we also i also manage our uh, cambridge massachusetts assets in Boston, Massachusetts uh, assets as well. But from my perspective, you know, being working in an an industry that's alongside our scientists is incredibly interesting to me. Uh, I'm humbled on a daily basis just seeing the work that our tenant base is doing across the portfolio. Uh, Just as a fun fact, uh, over 40% of our tenants were actually working on COVID therapies, testing or, or diagnostics. Uh, so really, you know, solving solving the issues that we uh, have all been through over the past year, two years—it's hard to remember <laughs> at this point. Uh, but really, to be in a vi- vibrant, bustling environment, I sit in the heart of Kendall Square, so really intricately involved with this industry day in and day out, and just trying to keep up with the pace of of life science. Everything moves incredibly quickly in the sector, and uh, we we, dri- we try our best on the real estate side to to beat the pace of our tenants. So it's a very exciting career uh, to be part
1: of thanks colina i definitely want to come back to you a little bit later in the conversation to compare the two cambridges i suppose and see what what lessons cambridge uk can learn from from Cam- cambridge usa um but I, I guess i'd like to start and steve maybe i'll come back to you on this on you know how much do we from a real estate perspective anyway really understand about the life sciences market you know we've heard there's you know there's all of this interest in it now, but are we, are we well-placed to really understand what we're investing in, what um, life science occupiers really, really want? How does that uh, sort of um, geography look, I suppose? Yeah I, I think
2: the first point of being an analyst is always about data to me and so you know, we 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 crunch lots of data but the, the 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 one the one thing for life sciences generally in the UK is a very difficult market to measure in a, using traditional metrics uh where you know take up availability rents absolutely fine of course so so just in terms of a, an analyst and transparency point of view the, probably the one missing thing is is having all of that data, but you know we're all trying very hard and we are collecting lots of, lots more data. Uh, but of course, on the investment side, it's 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 easier to understand. So so you know that tracking that part of the market is 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 pretty straightforward. So so that's good. But there's a huge amount of due diligence that goes on when investors are looking at science park and life science related, med tech as well, assets. So, so, so yeah, it's really that, that part of the market and understanding sort of the data point is, is absolutely
4: critical for me.
1: R- Rob, is that something you were nodding away there if people could see this podcast?
4: Yeah, it's, it's very difficult, you know, coming in as a new entrant, We're, we're a, a generalist. We invest across all sectors. We're, we're agnostic. Um, we, we obviously like to target growth. Um, but we also like to be a little contracyclical as well at times. But but this is clearly, as I mentioned, a headwind sector. Um, but but we bought on Oxford Science Park, I mentioned last year, and uh, there was a lot of data in Oxford. Um, but we wanted to compare it to to Cambridge, say. So we were seeing that was a ten percent premium to to lab rents compared to what they what what had been seen on straight offices. Um, but we wanted to see Cambridge, which is a more established market. It's it's got a greater depth and it's been doing it for longer. What was going on there? And that took quite a lot of work. We had to pull together through various agent conversations rather than being able to access a single resource. Um, We then bought a building in London at the beginning of this year and there was absolutely no data at all. Um, I mean, there is a lot in the pipeline, as you as you know, in London. But there's very very limited space, and I think Steve Steve's got some stats showing there's less than 100,000 square foot of purpose built lab space available in London. So it, it's very difficult to, to get the data from a rental perspective. From a cap rate perspective, we, we, we're guessing a bit as well. Um, there's clearly a lot of capital chasing it, so we we could be quite bullish, I think, on that. Uh, and the the other point is is and, and you you touched on this is, you know. What we didn't really know, we hadn't built any life sciences. What are we trying to build? What, what, how do we get it right? Because you can get this very wrong. Uh, and, and I'm sure um, uh, Colleen and Anna both both have, have more experience and more depth of understanding and, and, and sort of bet that won't make that sort of mistake. But we had to put it together to rise We have a, a very mature PM, experienced PM in our team who delivered uh, CAT2 and CAT3 labs for Imperial College and for others. And that helped us pull together a, a, a sort of project team um again with experience and, and we were able to piece together what, what we needed but it was it was a very evolving situation and even something like that we bought this um building in great on Grayson road uh, at the beginning of this year and we, we we saw it was ucl all around and we thought yeah there's there's enough game there's a, there's an ecosystem there but is it enough i walked from from the crick institute and and, and i walked quickly and it's 15 minutes we thought uh, it's probably a bit too far an ideal world and but the more we got into it the more we understood what ucl were up to and uh they've just uh, announced just before we bought it that they were uh launching the, the dementia research institute which is just on our doorstep uh with 500 clinicians scheduled to be there in a couple of years time and it was just to understand getting to learn the ecosystem and the more we understood it actually the more excited we got about the opportunity but we had to put it together that it doesn't Exist as such in a in a way that it does for the office market in terms of take up and supply and demand and and everything else. And, but that, and, so, and that's an opportunity.
3: Can I, can I can I ask you a question, Rob, about that? Because how do you deal with the different types of tenancies when you're looking at these projects? Because obviously some of these there's a high proportion of startups, there are shorter rents, they've got less covenant strengths, you know, the rents are inclusive sometimes, so it's not just the data quantum, it's the nature of the data itself. Do
4: you- yes, and we 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 used a business called Creative Places, Creative Spaces, who, who've got uh, experience in that okay. um, as, as a key resource and a key advisor, but, um, and, and in fact, we're still not fully decided whether we're going to go for some sort of managed solution or, or whether we're going to look to let it to sort of intermediate stage businesses. And the floors are about 5,000 square foot. So we think it works quite well for people coming out of incubation, um, coming out of universities uh, to take. But it, we, 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 I think it's a thing we're seeing across all real estate is as, as owners of real estate, as managers, we're having to become more operational. And so we're, 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 whether we bring someone else into it or whether we hire someone or, or how we look at it, um, that's all to be decided as we go through the, the, the construction process. But we've got a little bit of time to get that to work that out. But it's a, it's a very fair question and one that we, we haven't yet totally resolved.
1: And Colleen, are these, um, are these questions and, and queries that uh, are being had a, across the pond as well, or is this a, a UK-specific sort of stage of the, the life cycle? <laughs>
5: Yeah, Rob, um, when Rob was speaking, you know, I can relate to everything that you're saying, uh, in regards to the market, I think at least in uh, the core US markets, because like the life science sector, uh, real estate sector has been stronger for a longer period of time. uh, The market has evolved and all the brokerage companies uh, and ownership entities are starting to, to get a better grasp on the data. So in Cambridge, Massachusetts, as an example, we have uh, gone through an exercise and have very uh excellent data that's specific to the life science industry where i think in the uk what i've seen is most of the time the life science real estate data is actually embedded with the office data uh, and so it's not really tracked as, as its own segment which makes it a, a lot more difficult to really get get clarity um, and then to rob's point in regards to the build outs um that's something that he's a hundred percent accurate when he says you know, you've got to build it the right way. It's very expensive. It's a very costly mistake to make if you do not build it the right way. Uh, And I think, you know, we often hear people talk about how it's so much more expensive to build life science and, and folks have a really hard time getting over that initial capital contribution. But at Biomed, we have, you know, been working, we work exclusively on life science and technology space and have been working in the sector for decades. So, you know, when we're looking to design a space, we have our operations lead, our facilities lead, our development lead, our leasing lead, all sitting at the table, table with trusted advisors, such as you know Savills, uh, to really help us go ahead and figure out what we wanna build and what we wanna deliver to the market. And we actually even show it to our existing 230 plus a group of tenant base to say, do you like this? Why don't you like this? You know, mm-hmm. and, and really make sure that what you're delivering is is spot on because uh, it is very expensive if you do not deliver the right thing. And the, the most important thing when you're designing the space is focusing on flexibility in life after tenant. Because um, as Anna had mentioned, there's a variety of tenants and life science companies out in the market, some of which are smaller growing uh, companies looking to scale up and those groups you know, they, they can't commit to a space for 10 years, their business is not going to be the same in two years, they're going to get fundraising, and they're going to grow and uh, you need to be able to have life after tenant for the space. So making sure that you design it and put the right infrastructure in from day one with that capital contribution is really underlying to the whole thesis of being able to, uh, as an owner deliver uh, and provide life science real estate to users
1: excellent thank you anna can you can you um sort of build on that and, and share um a few of your experiences of of building building and developing space for for that um wide spectrum of users
3: yeah i i mean Colleen's right you it, you've got to really um invest in the building up front and flexibility is absolutely key so we we're we're really focusing on future proofing and what that means in reality is 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 100% lab enabled buildings so making sure that the services are effectively structured making sure that the floor loadings are appropriate making sure that the window heights are right um, all that sort of technical detail which which needs to be defined and invested in up front uh, and then you come to the kind of the the sort of developer skill really is 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 where where do you make those choices so where, where do you really um, decide to be generous and where do you decide not to be generous? And, um, and that's that's quite hard to make a call. Um, and there's sort of a kind of um, somewhat unglamorous but critical um, point is, you know, what's the size of your risers and where do you put them? And, you know, it, it, it is absolutely <laughs> critical that you get that right. So uh, and, and it is more expensive than your standard um, office building. And I think but I think increasingly that it does reflect trends in offices because people want to know, okay, where's where's the cycle store and where's my, where are my you know showers and you know where's the cafe and um what's the breakout space like and what where does this building sit? What are my local amenities and um it, all of those things that we've been talking about in, in office development over the last um ten to fifteen years are exactly the sorts of questions that we are talking about alongside you know, rises and floor loadings and, and 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 those sort of technical questions. So, I think it's a a sort of debate um, on a number of levels, really. Um, and and ultimately, it's about creating flexibility for your tenants, but also um, a really attractive, pleasant, um, stimulating, networked environment for the people um, who are coming to work in your buildings. That that
1: sort of idea of um, you know, the, one the one the cost of developing and the need to really um, sort of understand the the tenant, which I know across real estate we need to do do that, but probably even even more within life sciences. So it leads me to the question: with so much demand and interest in in life sciences now, is it, is that I suppose a, a good thing, or you know, are we gonna over overspread ourselves and potentially you know sort of lead to really poor life science um schemes being built and being built in the the wrong place people investing and and losing money are are we are we at a point in the cycle where we might just get a bit carried away with ourselves steve
2: yeah do you want me to list my least favorite science locations in the uk (laughs) Um, i probably won't do that um I, i I, I think the key thing is, is, is again, going back to slightly that that missing data is around the demand and creating the right ecosystem and putting in all the right ingredients. We talk about honey pots, you know, why do people want to be in certain locations? So as, as long as those locations have that honey pot, the ingredients, the ecosystem being developed, then you will create um, locations where occupiers want to be. I mean, there's, there's, you know, let's, let's just look at the, the big numbers that everyone got very excited and saying there is a huge amount of demand for life sciences. And of course, that sort of stems from much more the investment side. The question now we get asked in investment presentations is where that demand is going to come from. But when you start breaking it down and looking at the, the, just the sheer scale of corporates that work in the pharma and biospace, just those those two sort of massive categories, you know, there's, there's 430 companies that sit in the top two and a half thousand companies globally in terms of r d spend leaders they're spending 153 billion euros a year on r d now that requires a lot of space there's 2.6 million people that work in those 430 companies let's be crude let's call that a quarter of a billion square feet so and that model is changing so in terms of discovery and how they do life sciences so much more ai data so overall locations will emerge where those ingredients and those ecosystems are absolutely spot on for them to locate and that will include academia that would include government facilities as well as the corporates so as long as those sort of as known as the triple helix which has sort of moved on to become the quintuple helix i will say as it's now got a much more societal and an environmental wrap around it as well So locations will emerge and other existing locations will become stronger. You know, they will just develop more and more. London will become stronger. Oxford, Cambridge will become stronger as it will add on more development. So and we will see new locations emerge. So there's lots of different factors and facets to life science that will just ensure that new locations will grow and grow because there's just so much capital, so much money, so much R&D spent for such an important cause around human health. So I, I think you know, there there will be some locations where you probably think, okay, that probably won't quite work. But I I, I think broadly people gravitate towards the, the the core the core locations. And globally, you know, of course, that's that's Boston, Cambridge, Massachusetts, San Diego. Uh, but in the UK, it's obviously the Golden Triangle. But there's massive opportunity across the rest of the UK as well.
1: And um, Rob, for you, are you looking at those some of those different locations, or are you focused on the Golden Triangle and, and London?
4: Uh, all, all our efforts so far have been focused on the Golden Triangle. Um, I mean, we're, we're big believers in the quality of the UK university system, um, and where the UK has played catch up, or is currently playing catch up versus the US, is it in terms of the capital now being matched to that 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 research output uh, and the capital and the research. That uh, creates jobs and that creates demand for space. So, so it, it, that's quite straightforward, I think. Um, the, the difficulty now is it's just got so hot and we, we we love Oxford and I live nearby and we've been trying to buy lots of things around Oxford over the last four or five years from retail parks to convert uh, to, to life sciences to, to other things and to, to, to quite fringe sites for, for more sort of R&D type manufacturing. Um, but it, it, it and it's getting so much harder. What's happened in Cambridge this year is just nuts in terms of the Cambridge Science Park sites and the, and the difficult in our time horizon to drive the sort of returns we need to out of that. So whilst I think London is still immature, I think there's still opportunities for us in London, but um, below the radar, so not competing with the, with the more global capital. Um, but I think we will look a little bit beyond the, golden, we'll have to look beyond the golden triangle. Um, having recently bought a couple of life science investments everything that has science in the title gets offered to us now where you know where it is in the country it's got a it's got to be, this is perfect for you um clearly most things aren't and i think we need to be quite careful and i think it's about really understanding the ecosystem and doing the research and i think it's about tiers and and, and maybe the big man, manchester's tricky because of i think the, the presence of the university and other investors lng for instance you know it's it's a, it's a, it's a difficult market to get into but but maybe birmingham leeds Um, We're looking at uh, something in York at the moment. So I I think there is scope. I think that the the growth will be less, will be slower. But if you're getting compensated for that by higher yield, then I think it it might have its place.
1: Um, Thank you. Colleen, from your point of view, um, Rob there talked about Cambridge and Oxford being, being really hot at the moment do they look do they look hot from across the pond or is this just a, a stage in in the in the sort of growth of the the market or does it you know are other locations looking more appealing to to you as well
5: yeah i think we would a- agree with um steven's comment about cambridge and oxford performing incredibly well you know we we are constantly getting calls from groups about establishing new life science locations and i think some some folks are kind of approaching it a bit of the wrong way. You know, they'll they'll come with a problem building or a problem location and they see that life science is doing so well and they really wanna just go ahead and we always laugh internally, like life science, the problem out of it, which, you know, <laughs> I never like to start the conversation of here's a problem, can life science, you know, here's my building, can life science solve my problem? Because that's not the way we, that we should be answer, asking the questions. The question should be, you know, starting up from a macro level does this environment have the successful elements for a life science uh, ecosystem? And we really think about that as being, you know, an environment where there's government support for the R&D and healthcare sector, where there's the talent pool and the academia that fuels that talent pool, where there's an existing industry base. So, you know, established life science companies that have already called that area home um, in an area where there's funding and investment going in, whether that's through venture capital funding or, you know IPO activity happening around that market and the reason why we find Cambridge and Oxford in particular and in London uh, the golden triangle region very attractive is if you look at the funding uh, levels into the UK ecosystem venture capital funding we, we were just running the numbers for 2021 and about 75 percent of all the UK venture capital funding uh, that goes in for life sciences is going into the golden triangle regions And that's really where we see a lot of that uh, tenant demand growth fueled from because these companies naturally fundraise and the next thing they want to do is hit the next scientific research milestone. And that means they've got to hire people. You can't do a lab experiment from home. Um, And so when these groups get funding, they want to be in space yesterday. (laughs) So that, you know, when I had mentioned before, just trying to keep up with the pace of the science innovation is moving incredibly quicker it's moving at a quicker pace than it ever has with the convergence of life science and um, big data trends with technology we're able to analyze data quicker we're able to hit research milestones quicker we all live through that uh with this this um covid19 experience over over the past couple of years now so things are moving quicker and i think real estate and ownership entities have to keep up with the pace uh and it's clear that that growth is going to continue to happen in the golden triangle region so we absolutely love the market. It's, it's you know, from a biomed perspective, it's one of the core markets that we decided to invest in um, and, and we don't operate in a significant number of markets. We're very concentrated in, in core and we really, we really very much believe in the fundamentals of, of the region.
3: And I think, Colleen, as well, I think what you said about um, the importance of employing people and talent is important because I think uh, not to be underestimated in the Golden Triangle is the the issue around housing and availability of housing and you know people, affordable housing and affordable with a, a broad terminology um, because you know around my experience in Oxford and you know we're we're building subsidised accommodation for people to live in because you know people can't afford to to stay in the city so it does have a kind of wider real estate implication. Um, the kind of the hotness of the market and the demand for space fuelled as Colleen rightly said by the um, injection of venture capital money into these businesses um, so it, it's a sort of wide uh, opportunity and conundrum in a way to, to support growth.
1: I, I wondered though yeah if there's an opportunity for real estate to deliver something different around life sciences in the UK that you know it it's almost mixed use that it comes with that 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 housing element could we be pioneers in in that kind of real estate approach to to life sciences
3: yeah I mean I I think so and I think it's interesting that increasingly around um the the sort of well-known science parks you know Harwell they're building housing um up at um orderly park, they're building housing. Um, So, you know, increasingly you're seeing, and Begbrook, one of our big schemes, 450 acres on the north of Oxford, will be looking to build a significant um, amount of, of housing for people who work in the research space we're building. And obviously, you've got to get that right as well, because... Not everyone wants to live right next to where they work, and you know, bump into their colleagues, you know, in the supermarket on a Saturday. So that it just—it's a fascinating but much wider question, I think, about what kinds of um, places we're trying to deliver alongside um, uh, this growth sector.
2: I think it's also an interesting point around that, that cost of living as well, because we did a science city. So we benchmarked 20 global locations and published it back in February. Um, and interesting to see for the same type of scientist role within the same companies where possible, that effectively in the UK, Uh, it's half price, the scientists. You get two for one deal compared to the cost of scientists in the US if Basel is even more expensive. And you sort of think, okay, well, hopefully there's going to be some degree of scientific inflation, wage inflation. I hope that that comes along soon. Um, They deserve to be paid a lot more uh, when you look at the overall levels. Uh, But but then that's also what makes an attractive location. So when I I remember speaking to uh, Basel and saying, you know, you, your equivalent is about three or four times the, the salary levels in the UK. They said, well, yeah, that's not really a disadvantage. <laughs> it's actually an advantage because they want to come here because they're going to earn three or four times more. So it, it's about the talent piece is so critical here and if and getting housing delivery absolutely spot on and correct at the same time is is fundamental to that because clearly you know oxford and cambridge are not the cheapest places to to live in the uk but then that brings lots more opportunities within the triangle and indeed throughout the rest of the uk in in, in my in my opinion
3: yeah and i think it offers an opportunity to really um you know sam said is challenge what we think is good housing and 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 really Um, compete globally so when a researcher turns up from Harvard and looks at a three bed for his family he's got to say wow this is great I want to come here I want to bring my family here Uh, you know we need brilliant local schools we need great playgrounds we need brilliant parks we need we need the whole thing to attract global talent um, to support growth alongside the real estate and the money. Colleen
1: mentioned the speed of innovation there is within um, the life sciences sector and the real estate needs to keep up with that. My question is, can real estate keep up with that? And is it keeping up with, with it? Um, Rob, I'll throw to you first.
4: <laughs> I, I think I'm probably the least per- qualified person to answer that question. So probably a good place to start. Um, <laughs> uh, the answer is, um, the, the truth answer is answer is, is, I don't know. I hope we can. Um, I think we we do everything we can to understand the market. Um, we don't have anything like the, the spread of experience across the market, as, as someone like Colleen does. Um, but um, it, it's constantly evolving. I and mean, what we're focusing on to large extent is providing lab-enabled space rather than fitted space, because we can't second guess what's going to be required. Um, uh, and then do it, and, and, and Colleen mentioned, um, capital contributions, and, and do it that way rather than try to provide anything too bespoke. Um, uh, Clearly, the sort of the, 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 the structural framework um, is, is hopefully a bit less sensitive, but, but, but that, that will probably change as well. But hopefully there's a there's a bit more um, obsolescence resistance built into that than there is in terms of the actual finish. But it's a, it's a key point.
1: Anna, do you do you feel like you can keep up?
3: Uh, it's a challenge with real estate so it takes so bloody long to build anything um <laughs> so it is hard to keep up but um yeah then we're challenging ourselves on all that You know what's our what's our sustainability framework you know what's our what's our data um aspirations what what are um what are the efficiencies of our buildings um so uh, yeah i think we can i i, I think we can challenge ourselves and also the great thing about this sector is the people that we're working with and I think somebody mentioned it earlier in the call I mean the the work of these companies in our buildings is just absolutely fascinating um and I think you know in a way we should be challenged by their innovation and their outputs to to to, to raise the bar so I, I I I'm with Rob I think it's, it and I hope we can we're certainly trying our best to do so um uh, but what I think is interesting is the spirit of innovation and actually be willing to try to, to, to try out things. Um, I'm really interested in different forms of development, for example, and taking um, trying to develop some buildings which are really genuinely flexible and could be very lightweight in structure, could be very. Um, temporary and you'll see a lot of temporary temporary labs which we haven't really touched on um, you know popping up all over the place um, so I, I actually think it's innovating within our our you know more conventional structures but also thinking about different forms of development um, and we've got the culture um, and the challenge to do that in this sector. How brilliant that um, this sort
1: of now booming markets is inspiring real estate to look at look at things a bit different i think that's a that's a great place to to have got to
2: i mean there's one one shock comment for this podcast is that guess what scientists don't really care about real estate they just wanted <laughs> to be there when it when they need it and picking up colleen's point is when that funding kicks in That they want a lease structure that then follows their funding if they've got five years of money they don't want a seven-year lease so for us to maintain that flexibility of building then needs to be a flexibility of tenure as well Mm. and 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 you know startups are fantastic and some investors have said well now, they can be the worst of both worlds. If they're successful, they leave. And if they fail, they leave. So why would I go in at that <laughs> level? So, but, you know, we do need that. We do need all those failures to to find all the successes. So it's, it, it is a, it is a tougher market and it requires much more management, much more management intensive, like running a hotel. You need really good management teams on the ground, understanding what's going on. But, But to attract those companies, you've got to make sure you're providing the right type of facilities, shared facilities. You know, the Science Park model that we've had in the UK for 40 years, you know, we're just evolving that and it just will evolve over time. And I think with all this interest and money coming into the sector, I won't say chasing the sector. It's just money that realise the importance um, is is really good news and fantastic news for our sector and we will see it grow. It feels to me like we're where data centres were probably 15 years ago. That's what it feels like that. You know hopefully one day life science buildings will come in the boring category because we will just be building them they will be built and we'll have all these companies fantastic jobs higher paid jobs higher output and a level help with leveling up agenda across the uk at the same time so it just it just feels because we're, we're uk we're good at science as well so you know come on let's let's get on with it
1: <laughs> fantastic thank you and 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 a perfect point there to um head back to Colleen, to do a bit of a, I guess, a comparison um, with uh, the two Cambridges or with the UK and, and US. Obviously, US a lot, a uh, lot m- more mature in this, this market. Maybe it's, um, you know, where um, data centres uh, were were for, for us now. What can we, what can we take in the UK from the US market? Not, not giving away too many of um, Biomed's um, secrets, of course.
5: Yeah, well I would say from Biomed's perspective, we actually have organized our structure so that Cambridge Mass and Cambridge UK are very intentionally linked because we as we looked at the Cambridge UK market, we realized that there were a lot of synergies between the markets and that a lot of the tactics that we've proven over the years that have worked incredibly well in developing space in Cambridge Mass. There's no reason why they don't they aren't successful tactics in, in Cambridge UK. I would say when you think about the markets from a macro perspective, Cambridge, UK is about a third of the size of the Cambridge, Massachusetts market. So we're just about 13 million square feet uh, in Cambridge, Mass. And in Cambridge, UK, we're talking just about 4 million square feet of, of true life science space. And that's, you know, a, a footprint that would include both lab and office in it, but would be specific for a life science user. So the market sizes are clearly different. I think that the biggest thing that we see in Cambridge, Massachusetts that has fueled a lot of, of the growth here is a number of very large institutions calling this area home and a lot of smaller companies with partnerships wanting to be in the region. Um, so groups like, you know, Biogen, Merck, Pfizer, uh, Moderna, all those all those types of groups that have been in this market um, and that have partnerships with other life science companies uh, that have been interested in moving in the venture capital funding in this sector in Cambridge, Massachusetts is substantially higher and the rate of of commercialization is often what fuels the company growth. But in terms of, you know, so from a macro perspective there there are clearly differences and we see the pace of innovation and the pace of funding picking up in in Cambridge, UK. So we expect um, to grow pretty substantially. I would say in terms of developing spaces, we have sat with um, both our Cambridge UK local teams, married up with our Cambridge, Massachusetts teams and really worked through what tenants need. And Stephen was spot on when he said, you know, they, they, these groups need the space immediately. They're working on mission critical research. Um, and so they cannot wait. And we actually, you know, put our put our money into it. And we went we went spec on the biomed at Babraham. We built out the tenant improvements on our own, uh, with our own capital. Uh, and we leased 100,000 square feet to a number of users ranging from 12,000 square feet to 25,000 square feet. They made some minor, minor, very inexpensive modifications, and they all moved in before we were able to complete. Or they all signed leases before we were able to complete the improvements and moved in immediately. And we kind of proved out that the case study worked, and we leveraged a lot of the experience and the build out plans that we would otherwise have have looked at doing in Cambridge, Mass. Um, we're actually doing the exact same thing. It worked out very well. You know, that was through both Brexit and COVID. that, that out. And we're doing the exact same thing, same design principles, same theory for our portway building at Grant Park, which is about 100,000 square feet, offering those highly flexible spaces, building them out, you know, 85% of the tenant improvements are in into the space ready for occupancy uh, later this year. So we're we're really excited. We very much believe in it, um, and we think that there's a lot of lessons that can can be learned. And you know, macro elements are different, but what tenants are generally looking for, based on the type of tenant that's looking, tends to be incredibly similar between the markets.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Colleen. Really, really helpful um inform- information there for everyone everyone listening. Now, I know we're we're close to the end of our time talking about life sciences for this podcast there will be more I'm sure and um I just want to sort of bring us back to the beginning because when I when I asked you what life sciences meant to all of you at the beginning of this of this podcast um each one of you talked about it being such a, a fascinating sector um and and innovative and I guess I'd like to close with where you hope um that that this fascinating sector will get to and what you'd like to see the UK really utilize life sciences to to deliver for for perhaps for the real estate market but perhaps for for UK PLC for the UK in its standing globally uh, and I'm going to uh, start
3: with you with that one <laughs> that's almost as big as Rob's first question I think probably bigger um I think uh, for me personally, I think it would be such an achievement to create really um, sort of vibrant places of innovation which which, which let the oxygen in, which genuinely um, are places where uh, serendipity happens and um, innovation which we don't know, the, the unknown unknowns happen. Um, and I, I, I believe to do that, you actually really need, um, fantastic public realm, fantastic amenity, mix of uses, different types of buildings. Um, and I've probably been influenced by, you know, my, my work on King's Cross for 15 years, but, but I do think that, um, opening these places up, um, so that they are, um, openly vibrant and openly networks of exchange of knowledge and learning, um, it could be a really exciting direction for this sector um, and could be personally um, very satisfying. I think just one brief comment. I think one of the things I do love, which which Steve mentioned, is the elevation of property management, which for so long has been the kind of um, unglamorous part of our industry and to see it taking a, a critical central role in driving this sector forward and, and getting the kudos it deserves it is, it is also something which... Um, I think is great. Fantastic thanks Anna. Steve over to you.
2: Yeah just picking up that kudos point very quickly there was an FT poll for the US uh, done in January 2020 in terms of people's views of big pharma and it was 32 percent were positive. It was done in February 21 and that went up to 62 percent so I'd like to think if we did the survey in the UK that there would be a much more positive attitude towards life science companies, and obviously they've done a fantastic job for, for obvious reasons over the last 12 months. But generally across the UK, um, you know, love love to see the UK PLC prosper from the golden triangle. You know, that's always going to be a given. That's going to be a, the heart, the engine of where life science is obviously just on a global stage. But increasingly, and so it's been mentioned already, likes of Birmingham, where it is York, Leeds, the northern cluster, as we term it, all the way up to Newcastle, the Scottish markets, South Wales markets. I would love to see there's just much, a much higher levelling up um, of sort of job prospects, growth in those locations uh, with a life science spin, of course, and just 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 see life science and happening in more locations um, because the strength of the teaching hospitals, the strength of the academia, uh, it's it's just not all about the golden triangle. Um, It it is strong everywhere else and just love to see that levelling up agenda being met with a life science spin. And the government's really committed to this. So so that obviously drives a a real estate need as well, which would be fantastic for all of us on the call as well.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Colleen.
5: Yeah, I think when I when I look at the Cambridge UK market and just think about uh, how it compares to the US markets, I think there's an incredible opportunity for life science to flourish uh, in the Golden Triangle and in other regions in the UK and even across Europe. So I think there's just an unbelievable amount of of potential uh, for growth in the market. And the pace at which the science is moving is incredibly exciting. I think, you know, we've we've solved we're all sitting here, you know. Having made significant progress on a on a problem that really changed everybody's lives over the over the last couple of years, and it's fascinating to see how quickly um, the the science on that front has moved forward. And I think uh, we're well positioned in the UK and specifically in the Golden Triangle to really help push that pace of innovation. And to me, that's it's been really exciting to watch. And um, I hope that uh, the real estate groups can kind of keep up keep up with the pace and, and do our part. Um, and helping to move this innovation forward, so it's, I think it's a really exciting time for the market.
1: Thank you. And final word, Rob, to you. To you, often the hardest word. I well, apologize. To, to,
4: to bring it back to, to the UK point of your question, I, I spend quite a lot of my day job trying to flog the benefits of UK investment in re, UK real estate uh, to overseas investors, and it's be honest, it's been quite a tough sell for the last five years. You know, we haven't made it easy for ourselves. But, but it, so it's great to have sort of champions in the UK, to have to re- real areas of world-class um, activity and ability and, and output. And, and life sciences, I think, is probably we, we've always been proud of our tech sector, but I think that life sciences really is uh, where we're a global leader, and it's overtaking something like financial services. Uh, and I think it can contribute to growth in the in the Golden Triangle, and as Steve says, beyond and hopefully uh, into Leveling Up and everything else, and, and produce some amazing results as well in terms of of the, the advanced in genetic research and the treatments that, that can generate and everything else that goes with it so and just on a personal note as an old dog who has been doing this job for 30 years it's just been great to really get to know a new sector an emerging sector over the last 12 18 months and i hope that continues
1: so it sounds like not just a not just a hot sector but a, a really empowering sector as well that's putting a little bit of life back into into real estate when lord knows we all we all need no need it don't we so thank you so much for a really fascinating um conversation we could go on i'm i'm sure but we will save it for episode two um but thank you for joining us on this eg property podcast Thank you for
0: joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.